The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We got plenty to recap from a big old fat Wednesday, so let's dive right on in. This is Fantasy NBA Today, and I am your host, Dan Bespris. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, if you'd like to give me a follow on social media, I wish you would. And this is a HoopBall presentation. That's hoop-ball.com, at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter. Many of you have taken my advice and actually gone and followed at HoopBallFantasy. I watched the follower count rocket up the other day when I did that big push here on the podcast, so that's a good decision. I'm betting most of you guys are like, damn, I should have done this a long time ago. But we're going to dive right on in today. I will hold the promo for the middle of today's podcast. So, you know, prepare yourselves adequately for that. Big Wednesday. Big Wednesday to go down. We had nine games, and I would say, boy, there were like four guys that popped up in these nine games that really were, weren't even on the radar five days ago and now are in consideration for not only pickup but startable. Mind-boggling stuff. So let's dive right on in. Again, at Dan Vespers on Twitter, if you want to give me a follow over there. Let's uh, let's start recapping a little bit. Wednesday, Dallas at Indiana. They caught the Pacers in a prototypical letdown spot. That first game back home off a long road trip is always a weird one. Indiana was sluggish, particularly on defense. They didn't stop the Mavs at all. But we don't really care about the Mavericks side. You know, I, they need their guys back. We're just we're rolling through this long stretch, and we've seen Tim Hardaway Jr. He's had to step up a little bit with other guys out. Trey Burke has done a lot more with other guys out, but the the trustworthiness and with Hardaway, he's been fine. Like he's been he's been a a standard league guy all season to this point. No question about that. I think he's number one ten. Dropped about thirty slots the other day because of that zero for twelve shooting game that. Uh, kind of ruined his season mark. But overall, he's been pretty good. Overall, he's been pretty good. Kind of had a feeling he would be the one guy on my... I, I have this team that's just loaded with three-point shooters. And I kind of had this weird feeling like, oh, Timmy, yeah, he's going to be the one that slips out. Although his, his free throw percent will trend back out. It doesn't really matter. That's not, that's not the point of all this. point is that Mavs are still waiting on a bunch of guys to come back. Maxi Kleba, Dwight Powell, Josh Richardson, Dorian Finney-Smith. Four guys that were very much in the rotation, and they've been filling in for them this whole time. So whatever we're pulling away from these Mavericks games, it's all very short-term, and it could end in a snap. All of a sudden, those guys are just back. They cleared protocol, etc. you know, whatever hypothetical timeline you want to put them on, and whatever work we, you, whoever has been doing to try to find value on the Mavericks that wasn't already on a roster just goes right out the window. So... You know what we like to do on this podcast. We like to simplify. And for the Mavs, simplifying is just saying, right now, Luca, Tim Hardaway Jr., Kristaps Porzingis. Easy. Don't get nuts. Pacers side, we still don't have any kind of timeline on Karis LeVert, and I don't know the, exactly when they're going to be releasing one. Uh, they go small when Miles Turner is on the shelf. Hopefully he'll be back soon. It's an avulsion fracture, but apparently he's day-to-day, so uh, we may have dodged a bullet there. I guess only time will tell on that front. In the meantime, Jeremy Lamb. 
made his return to NBA play. It's funny when people call it NBA basketball. It's redundant. He's back out. He played 19 minutes in his first game, had 10 points, two boards, two steals. Four out of eight shooting, including a three-pointer. I I call Jeremy Lamb a must-add player in basically any format. He will obviously be better in 9-cat than he is in 8-cat. He's not a high turnover guy, never has been. You look at his career, he's averaged .8 turnovers per game. So if you're an 8-cat, understand that that does limit the upside a little bit. But this is a dude who has pretty good per 36 marks in steals and blocks for a you know a shooting guard. He's not going to play 36 minutes. I'm just I'm using this as a, a barometer. You probably should use like a per 27 if you want to get a little closer to what he's probably going to work his way up to. Last year, over the entire season, Jeremy Lamb averaged 12.5 points, four boards, two assists, 1.7 combined defensive stats, 84% free throw shooter. That was actually down from his career mark. 1.23s, 45% from the field, which is very close to his career note. However, if you look at last year and you only look at the games before Victor Oladipo came around, it was a pretty different story. And this is not easy to do because you'd have to do a, a deep dive on last year, start on October the 22nd, understand that Oladipo came back, I think it was in January, late January, early February, something like that. So basically just look at Jeremy Lamb's stats in the 2019 portion of last year's schedule. So just look October, November, and December. And that gives you, I think, at least here, a better idea of where you can plot him out. He was number 80, by the way, in those 23 ball games. Averaged 14, 4.5, 2.5, 1. 1.9 combined defensive stats on 11.5 shots a game, which is very attainable on a Pacers team this year that is without Karis LeVert for we don't know how long, without TJ Warren for we don't know how long. And then they obviously traded Victor Oladipo. So there's just... There is a dearth of scoring available to them in in what he brings, which is a slashing ability, an ability to get to the rim, to finish, to get fouled near the bucket. He does draw some fouls. Average three three free throw attempts per game last year. Not a not a colossal number or anything, but you know, not one and a half or two. He's got pretty good mid range. He's expanded a little bit towards the three point line. He does get you some steals. He's a really nice nine-category guy, and that, that top 80 mark is attainable. Plus, as he works his way up into the mid-20s and minutes, you create kind of a top 110-ish type floor. And the only thing that knocks him off is if all of a sudden we got some kind of information that Warren or Levert was expected to come back soon. And I, I don't, it doesn't sound like that's the case. The rub here is that it's not going to be a super fast ramp up. He's coming off of serious, serious injuries. So 19 minutes in this one. He'll probably play around 19 minutes again in the next one while they sort of settle his body into that range. And once he's not feeling the burn hard after the game or the next day, then they can start to raise that number, 22, 24, 25, 27 so this really could be a two- to three-week process. So if you're squatting on him, which I do suggest you you consider, understand that you're probably not going to be able to use him in a nine-cat or in a games-cap format until probably inside of February. 
We'll be in February before that's useful. In a head-to-head unlimited format, you just dump him in there and you'll get your partial lines from him, but they'll be fine and they won't hurt you. So Jeremy Lamb, must ask. That's that's where I'm at with him. Does this hurt Justin Holiday? Yeah, probably a little bit. He was fine yesterday, although he did he had some mild foul issues, but he had his three-pointers, he got his steal. Holiday is just sort of going to plunk along in his just-outside-the-top-100 valuation. And then Doug McDermott had one of his weird little heater games yesterday where he scored 16 with eight boards. But you, you can't really count on that. Yes, he's starting. But as soon as Miles Turner comes back, that's the guy who gets bumped. And by the way, there's a very distinct possibility that Jeremy Lamb ends up starting. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but you just sort of never know in a, situ- a situation like this. So that would expand possible upside let's move along though we spent a bunch of time on this ball game Brooklyn at Cleveland this was a uh, relatively large bet we had on the Cavs and so that was kind of fun Brooklyn got all sorts of goodies from their big guys this game going to double overtime but this podcast is about finding the stuff around the edges and if you remove the double overtime 10 minutes that's where we really want to be who played in the two OTs on both sides Torian Prince saw a bunch of extra time on the Cleveland side because of the extended ball game, and of course because of the absence of Darius Garland. They sort of have to find other ways to fill bodies in, and he actually looked pretty good. Prince had a couple of goofball turnovers early in this game, but shot the ball well. You knew there was going to be a nice little revenge angle going with Torian. Jared Allen played 31 minutes, had four blocks. So, you know, we kind of knew that the Cavs were going to figure out a way to get their big men involved. Andre Drummond was actually the one who took a hit in this ball game. But he'll see more than that probably most of the time, and Jared Allen might see a little less, or Larry Dance might see a tiny bit less. But all those guys are worth holding for now. And Jetty Osmond will settle into one of his cold stretches here at some point, so that will open up minutes on the wing. I don't think we make any sweeping decisions on the Cleveland side. Like, seeing this game didn't make me think I must add Torian Prince. He did have a good ball game, but I don't know that he's playing 32 minutes every night, and he's definitely not shooting... 56 he's definitely not going five for nine every night and he's almost definitely not getting seven rebounds four assists every night so there's a lot of stuff there that was not really sustainable where with Jared Allen you know other than the minutes being perhaps a tad higher than they will be points rebounds steals blocks all that stuff does translate a little bit quicker so hopefully you guys were able to hang on there and then Colin Sexton made his return in a very big way which is sweet that's uh fun to have him back he was weird at the free throw line but and everything will be fine there. I would say certainly keep an eye on Torian Prince and send, in case he jumps over some guys. You know, like Damian Dotson probably ends up doing less. But this is a team that's still missing Kevin Love and Darius Garland. So two big pieces are still out. And that's going to create an additional squeeze on things. So be a little bit, you know, don't drop anybody of value. But if you have a spot at the end of your bench, you could put Torian there. Just in terms of the guys we're looking at on the card today alone... He's less interesting to me than Jeremy Lamb. And even a couple guys on the Brooklyn side. We've talked about DeAndre Jordan being somewhat interesting. But maybe more than that, Brooklyn's gone to a heavy dose of Jeff Green at center. The last three games in particular. I know this one with double overtime. You ended up at 45 minutes instead of 35 minutes. But 35 minutes is still a lot. 16 points, 7 boards, a steal, a block, 4 three-pointers. He's been really efficient. He's a good foul shooter. I don't know that we can count on defensive stats, but as a floor-spacing center alongside KD, Harden, and Kyrie, his looks are going to be wide open. 
whatever they may be. It's kind of the same case we make for Joe Harris, where, yeah, maybe he's going to have some trouble getting a ton of shots up, but the ones he gets are going to be crazy open. So I'm actually in favor of adding Jeff Green, and I know the upside is capped here, so don't don't get me wrong. As I talk about Jeff Green, I'm not saying this is, you know, race-out, game-changing, whatever type of guy, because, you know, over the last week, he's shooting like 70% from the field, and that obviously is an unsustainable number. But if he's logging a bunch of minutes at center... He's going to just sort of bungle his way into five or six rebounds a game. And he's going to get open three-pointers as a big man. So I think you're looking at probably something more in the neighborhood of like a top 115 type of guy. But let's say, hypothetically, and like we have a pretty good amount of data on Jeff Green, but not a ton lately of him playing significant minutes. He's never been a good steals or blocks guy. So let's get that right out of the way. Even way, way back when he was playing 30-some-odd minutes a game with Boston and Oklahoma City towards the beginning of his career, there was like one year where he averaged more than one steal a game. Most of the time, even if he gets into that 30-minute range, you're looking at about 0.7, 0.8 steals and maybe about half a block a game. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that more of his minutes now will be at center then at small or power forward, the way they were early in his career. So that helps with rebounding, that helps with blocked shots, probably helps with steals a little bit because he's able to kind of sag back towards the paint, get his hands in passing lanes, things of that nature. So that number could trend up a little bit from like 1.2 combined to maybe like 1.4, but I don't think it's going any higher than that. We don't, so it, let's not get carried away. And that's why the the upside is capped a little bit. But again, if he's playing 30 minutes, he'll get into double-digit points. It'll just happen because he'll be so open, and he'll probably get you one-and-a-half to two three-pointers, and that's useful out of a center spot in probably more so, honestly, in unlimited games leagues. I don't know that he qualifies as a games cap type of guy. I don't know that there's enough upside to justify using him against your games cap, but in unlimited games format, if he's in there and he's playing every day and he's, you know, let's say he's pretty durable this year, not turning the ball over very much, getting you some boards, some threes, steal or a block here and there, but not many. And he'll luck his way into two assists a game because of the guys around him. Then that's worthwhile. Not as interesting as Jeremy Lamb, arguably more interesting than Torian Prince. Interesting stuff in both of these two games. Boston at Philadelphia. Daniel Tice had a really big one. 23-10 and 10 off the bench, but 9 out of 11 shooting obviously is not sustainable. The 10 rebounds probably not sustainable as Robert Williams works his way back into the mix. Much as I love Daniel Tice, and you guys know I do, I'm still not really in full buy mode. He's been added in a handful of leagues, and you know his numbers have been fine over his last five games or so, but his rebounds are higher than expected. Defensive stats haven't really been there yet, and I don't know if that's just fluky or what. But, you know, you're talking about 21, then 20, then 27 minutes. It it just, with a bench roll, that number's going to bounce around, and that makes him really hard to start every night. But you know who's not going to be hard to start here pretty soon? Kemba Walker, who played almost 22 minutes and had 19 and 6 with five three-pointers. He didn't wait around very long. He will have high usage for this team. He will. I mean, you know, looking back at kind of the beginning of last year before everything fell apart for his knee, he was good. He was top 30, 35-ish 
And then the knee blew him out, and he just wasn't moving well. His shot wasn't falling. He's never going to be a high field goal percent guy. But Kemba Walker now, you could potentially start him already. I I, I thought I was going to have to squat. I have him in a, in a couple of spots, despite the fact that I almost never draft an injured guy. When Kemba was slipping to, like, 90 or 100, my thought was, look, like, I don't even know how long this dude is out, but I'm in a, I'm in a roto league here, and in a head-to-head, I'll stash him for a month if I have to. Once he's back at full tilt, he's a top 40 guy, and you don't even have to think about it. He's already a top 100 guy if he's inside, if he's playing, you know, 22 minutes a game. So everything over that is just gravy. I think you can actually start him now and kind of understand that there are going to be some cold days mixed in a little bit. So that uh, that ended up being kind of cool, faster than expected. On the Philly side, now that they're pretty much back at full tilt, still no Seth Curry, which is allowing Shake Milton to get in there and get a bunch of shots off in his 29 minutes. That will bump him off the pedestal. And then you're looking at maybe the starters. Maybe. Because Tyrese Maxey started, but he didn't. It was mostly Shake Milton that was soaking up those minutes and those touches. Danny Green remains kind of close, actually, to fantasy value, which is a little bit odd because I don't, I don't think I ever thought he was going to even get into the ballpark. He's at number 128 in 28 minutes a game. And a lot of his issue right now is the fact that he's shooting 38% from the field. If that number really does level off and everything else stays about the same, Danny Green is actually a fantasy asset. Go figure. Go figure. Not a must start. Not a must start. We know the Danny Green story. He'll run warm. He'll run cold. But he'll get you some threes, some steals, some blocks, and you know more nine cat than anything else. I'm not, you know, not, not, not pushing him on you guys right now. Miami beat Toronto. Kendrick Nunn kind of filling in for Tyler Hero here a little bit. I know he came off the bench, had a big ball game. No, you're not picking him up because Hero and or Jimmy Butler will each, they'll be back soon. Uh, Kelly Olynyk bounced back with a big ball game. And that was good. That was good. That was, a, that was one that felt nice because he had had a couple of quiet ones in a row and then rolled out a 15-8-8 with a block, two threes, and all three of his free throws. That's a, that's a gorgeous thing. So... Luckily, that'll keep us from having to field any questions on Kelly Olynyk. Norman Powell, on the other side, went back to being clunky, so cool. Uh, you can cast him back out into the ocean if you like. This is, this is good. I mean, we picked up Norman Powell in a couple of spots just in case. But that's the whole point of a speculative ad. You pick him up in case things hit, but it looks like it's just not, it's just not his time. Terrence Davis got hot, so he saw some extra run. Chris Boucher got pushed around by Bam Adebayo in this ballgame, so he was quieter. I don't think that created any kind of buy window, but in the odd chance that your league has uh, people who really panic quickly. Uh, Pascal Siakam has a sore groin. We'll see if that does anything. If it does, you probably just see this same kind of thing again, where they'll figure out a hot hand, whether it's Powell or Terrence Davis or Stanley Johnson or something like that. Um, I don't think that's I don't think those are waters you really want to wade into. Atlanta with a comeback overtime win over the Detroit Pistons. Clint Capella, 27-26 and with five blocks. Took him a week to go from being top 150. Where is he at now? Am I on the wrong year? I'm on the wrong year. Get it together, Dan. You're looking at the wrong year. He's number 42 now. 14-14. and 
2.5 defensive stats, 58% shooting. You know, everything's gravy. The amazing part is that he's trending up. He's been better than that the last, what a week? Week-ish, right? Where is he at the last week? He's number six on averages of 23 and 17. <laughs> yeah, that won't stick. But still, top 40 is very much within reach, and it was always it was that same thing. It was like, look, this dude, the fact that he's playing as many minutes as he is right now is absolutely glorious. The thought we had was, look, even if this guy only gets to 28 minutes a game, he's still going to clobber an ADP of 65. His game is too translatable to fantasy. Points, rebounds, blocks, steals, field goal percent. It's just so easy because all he has to be is on the court. And he's so much bigger than everyone else on the Hawks right now. John Collins at power forward. I know he played a bunch of center yesterday. By the way, John Collins, big ball game, so that was cool. But, you know, John Collins, you're not out-rebounding Clint Capella while you're out there. He's got you by, like, probably a solid four inches. I don't know what it says on the roster. John Collins, by the way, with that big ball game, back to number 52 in 9-cat, which, hanging around. It's been, a, I think, a buy low. Is this the game that unlocks things for the Hawks? I doubt it. You know, they took on a, a Detroit team that's competitive, but not good. By the way, if you had bet Detroit in this game, you must be furious because they led the whole way and then couldn't even cover in overtime. Ouch. That's a bad beat. Detroit side, some stuff, some stuff. I don't have, really have any stuff on the Atlanta side because they're just biding time until people come back. Uh, DeAndre Hunter was out, so Solomon Hill stepped in and did nothing. Kevin Herter's got all he can do right now with no Hunter, no Reddish, no Bogdan, no Gallo. Gallo seems like his role is going to be a whole heck of a lot bigger on this team than initially expected, partially due to injury, but partially due to the fact that the pieces are just a little bit mismatched right now. So if Gallo got dropped, I think you you absolutely must add him and sit on him here because it looks like he'll probably be back in the next two weeks, if I had to guess. And he's not going to get up into that top 40 range where he has been as a full-time starter, you know, getting his 13, 14 shots and a ton of free throws. But dial that back by a few rounds. Gallo, I mean, he's basically guaranteed top 100 given the Bogdan injury and the the general weirdness on this team and just sort of the need for someone to go really just step out and hit a shot or make a few free throws. They've had some trouble hitting shots Atlanta has lately. Not what we all thought was going to be the issue there. So yeah, add Gallo. And on the Detroit side, you know, DeLon Wright actually had a pretty good game in his 25 minutes, but that number is just not consistently big enough right now to where you can say, this is a guy that's going to be good all year long. He's number 151 right now. His shooting percentage has been dog poo. And, you know, I don't know, maybe that comes back a little bit. He fouled out in this game, so he might have played a little bit more. Had he not, certainly in an overtime game, you figure he would have played a little bit more. But here's the thing that jumps out to me. Josh Jackson is is out of the rotation. He played 20 minutes. That's about as good as it's going to get. Svi Mikhailiuk has been passed for the floor spacer gig on this team by Wayne Ellington. Nothing that Detroit is doing right now makes a ton of sense from a where-are-they-going standpoint. The Pistons are 3-11. and They have the worst record in the NBA by a half game behind the Timberwolves. So, you know, they're not... They're not improving anytime soon. Jeremy Grant is awesome, and he's just going to get to do whatever the hell he wants all season long. They're trying to figure out a way to get out from under Blake Griffin. 
He had actually, I mean, he did have a better ball game in this one, but for the most part, he's just been kind of going through the motions. So you would have thought, and Derrick Rose, who didn't play quite as well in this game, salvaged it with a steal and a block, but had been playing relatively well also. This team is playing some veterans. You know, Mason Plumley, he's been a must-own center. He's fouled out also, by the way, in this game, if you're wondering why his numbers were a little bit depressed as well. Mason Plumley's seeing big minutes. Blake Griffin's seeing big minutes. DeLon Wright, who's relatively young still, but, you know, not unseasoned. He's, he's now a veteran in my eyes. Ellington's a veteran. Rose is a veteran. They're playing older guys kind of inexplicably, although, here, let me explic it for you. Their young guys aren't that good. They're either too green or just not great. And so Detroit is in this weird pocket where Killian Hayes is hurt. That's the one that they're excited about. Sekou Dumbuya, who, I don't know, the world tried to force-feed that guy to us last year in fantasy. And then Josh Jackson, we know he's not very good. So what's the, what's the plan here? And the plan, it seems like, is trot some veterans out, lose some games, see if you can move them for some picks, and then this is the team where we're going to be picking over a carcass in about two and a half months for weirdos that are suddenly playing 36 minutes a night. As it stands right now, Wayne Ellington is an ad. Darndest thing, right? But that dude, that dude has the capacity to average over three three-pointers a game in a starting role on a team that needs shooting. And they do. Jeremy Grant, he can step out and hit it a little bit. Blake Griffin, uh, I mean, meh, fine, whatever. DeLon doesn't really shoot the three. Rose doesn't really shoot the three. Plumlee doesn't play, space the floor at all at the center spot. Svee is kind of their lone real shooter on that team. So suddenly, Detroit's like, well, we're a, we're a cluster mess of offense. Everybody just trying to roll towards the paint. Here, Wayne, what do they call him in Miami? The man with the golden arm. Go spot up somewhere. Run off some screens. Hit some three-pointers. We need some space. And if you guys are like, Dan, you're out of your damn mind on your Wayne Ellington kick today. Look at his last three ball games. I know the first one was nine points and one rebound. But look at the minutes. Look at the opportunity. He's at 14 threes in those games. And he's averaging close to 30 minutes a game. It's about 28-29. If that dude's playing 28-29 minutes on this team, he's going to take probably seven to nine three-pointers a game. I know he took 11 a couple games back. That's, that's a bit high. I don't think we can expect that. But he'll get seven up. And he'll make about three of out of those seven. Throughout his career, that's around where he's been. A little bit less than that. If he takes seven, he'll probably make about 2.7-ish, if I had to guess, 2.7, 2.8. Maybe he takes more than that. Maybe he averages eight three-pointers a game. He's never really had a job like the one that he's being given right this second, at least not for a long stretch. Closest you can look at is probably two years ago, here with the Pistons when he was playing 27 minutes a game, which, by the way, largest number of his career that year, 27 minutes a game with the Pistons. He took eight three-pointers a game and made three of them. 12 points, two boards, a steal, three three-pointers. That's inside the top 100. So Wayne Ellington, also a guy that no one was even looking, myself included, no one was looking at this dude a week ago, and now 
he looks like he might be a solid back-end three-point guy. And a 12-teamer to boot. Orlando, game winner from Cole Anthony at 13-7-3. He looks like he's getting a little bit better every ballgame. I will say uh, there are reasons for pessimism here on Cole Anthony, and that big reason is Evan Fournier, who came back from his two-week back spasm absence with 24 points and 21 shots. They are now letting Aaron Gordon do more orchestrating, which is great for his fantasy value because he had 13-9-7 with a steal and four blocks. And this is the Aaron Gordon that we were hoping we might see this year, one that starts to do steals, blocks, assists, like we saw after the All-Star break last season. So yes, he's still at number 126 overall this year, which is not great. Over the last week, he's at number 118, although you can pin a lot of that on 36% shooting. If you pull that field goal percent out and adjust it to his career mark, his other stuff is 15, 8.5, and 6 with 2.3 defensive stats. That's a top 75 guy if he's not shooting 36%, which unfortunately he is right now. So, you know, we deal with that. But things are looking good all of a sudden for Orlando. Uh, Terrence Ross, he's in one of his extreme cold spells. He actually fouled out of this ball game, but you guys know how it goes. He goes super cold for a week or two, and then he goes hot for a week or two. So just ride it out. If you want to bench him, you can bench him. I'm fine with that as well. Evan Fournier, you got to get back into your lineup. And Cole Anthony, you know, if, if he really is now really more of like a fifth option as opposed to third or fourth, that's going to be really hard for him to maintain fantasy value. And I say that after a good ball game, but he only took seven shots in his 28 minutes, but they like him and there's no one really coming for his minutes. So he's not a drop. He's just a still not sold on. By the way, with Minnesota, uh, Jared Vanderbilt was a guy we thought was going to have a nice streaming week, and he was awful in this game. And this is part of why the whole grabbing an easy fill-in for someone with COVID doesn't always pan out. Because you have weird teams like the Wolves that are like, you know what, today, Jade McDaniels and Nas Reed both playing well. So here, you guys go ahead. That's why I generally avoid these streamers, and you know, a couple of times I dip my toe in, I get burned by it. D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, those are the guys you're starting for Minnesota right now, and I wouldn't go really any farther. Phoenix got a six-point road win over the Houston Rockets. That was pretty much right on the number. And the big news out of this ballgame, DeAndre Ayton really looked like himself for the first time all year. 26 points, 17 rebounds, five blocked shots, great percentages, made all four of his free throws, one of the lines of the night. Kind of remarkable, actually, that there were better lines than that from a, a nine-cat perspective. But there were, just by a hair, because there was so much big stuff going on. And this is the kind of night that can uh, rocket boost a fantasy player from way down the board all the way up the board. Since, by the way, since the Suns came back from their postponements, their contact tracing layoff, Aiden is number nine in fantasy over the last week. Two games, 22 points, 16 and a half rebounds, three blocked shots. Thanks to this recent run for him as well, he's moving out to number 61 on the year after kind of hovering in the 80s. Put another week like this together, he'll be inside the top 40. He's still not taking enough shots for my liking this year, uh, but this was a better one. He got 15 shots up because he and Chris Paul are starting to get chemistry, and that's going to be a big deal. A lot of rolls, a lot of dunks, a lot of tip-ins. 
and he just looks like he's finally got some energy. So this may be the moment here that we were waiting for. You know, the, the buy low thing was always sort of a semi-buy low because I still don't think he gets into that top 20. But if he does, well, then, you know, we didn't buy low enough. Or didn't, didn't buy enough low? I don't know. He was kind of the only son who had a good ball game, oddly enough. Chris Paul was fine. Booker was fine. Macau Bridges was fine. A lot of fine performances here, but it was enough because the Rockets are still down John Wall, which means I'm not reading too much into Houston at the moment. We know Christian Wood. We know Victor Oladipo. We know Eric Gordon. Those guys are going to be doing a bunch. DeMarcus Cousins only playing 14 minutes was a downer. I mean, he really just doesn't have his legs at all. I'm starting to get a little bit impatient, I'll admit. You know, we've been sitting on him for a month so far, and his minutes really haven't trended up. And I think we can officially say you can move on. I think this is the show where we say, if, if you don't really want to squat on him another month, there's so many guys that are popping up right now that are just more interesting. With Boogie, you've got the upside. I don't think any of the guys we've talked about on today's show have the upside of Boogie Cousins, because if he plays 22 minutes even, then he's a monster, but it just doesn't look like he's getting there. Christian Wood playing too well, and DeMarcus just not healthy enough. Kings were hanging in there for about 28 minutes of this ballgame, and then the whole thing came apart. Clippers got a big one from Kawhi Leonard who technically did have the line of the night with that six-steal performance. Paul George nearly triple-doubled. Nick Batum still doing enough. Don't drop him yet. Don't, don't drop him yet. Patrick Beverly cooled off in this one, which is a shame. I'm still going to hang on to him a little bit longer because I do love his the, the roundedness of his fantasy game. But if you hadn't dropped Lou Williams already, that's probably the story from this one. He is very much a drop. And on the Sacramento side... Marvin Bagley, kind of trending up a little bit here. I know 10 and 8 and a steal and a 3 is nothing to write home about, but 29 minutes, he played towards the end in a blowout, which you know maybe he doesn't play if it's not a blowout, but still, slightly positive sign for Marvin Bagley on a team that right now could not defend, uh, I mean, they couldn't defend like a JV high school team. It's really it's really bad. They, they are, they're non-existent on the defensive end of the ball, and I have no idea how long Luke Walton can possibly last with this, but he's lasted to this point, and that surprised me. Spurs got blown out by the Warriors when Steph Curry is hot. Warriors are pretty tough to beat. James Wiseman had a nice ball game. No other real notes there. Draymond Green might actually not be a fantasy value this year, but we'll, uh, you don't drop him yet. You keep an eye on it. For the Spurs, LaMarcus Aldridge was terrible. He's alternating okay games and awful ones. It's it's going to be an old man, a real old man. Like, he's now hit too old, I think. Man, can you believe that? I mean, that's the weirdest moment for me in that draft where I was like, I got Miles Turner and LaMarcus Aldridge on my queue, and I was right there on Aldridge and thought, you know what? Last year his rebounding trended down so hard. If that goes in the same direction here and the blocks aren't there, then he does miss his ADP. And I went Miles Turner and thank the good Lord. DeMar DeRozan, cooling off a little bit here. He's still going to, you know, he does the same thing every season, so you're fine there. And DeJounte Murray, we're starting to see him begin to wake up a little bit, so that's cool. But otherwise, Spurs mostly just got smoked, and you shuffle along to the next one. But as promised here, finishing up our Wednesday recap, it's promo time, ladies and gentlemen, because we got a few, and we're going to start with the recruiting pitch, because this, this floored me. 
I did not think that there would be this kind of response to my clarion call for a sales department. And yet, here we are. So I'll put another one out there. Folks, HoopBall is bringing on salespeople, but I need to be very specific here. You need to be free during a large chunk of Pacific time call hours, meaning, you know, this is not an after-hours thing. If you have a day job, it's not going to work unless you can just abandon your day job for multiple hours at a time. And I don't think that's the case for most of you. So if you work a night shift or if you're on a weird time zone where maybe that leaves you open on Pacific time and, you know, whatever weird situation you might have going on, I shouldn't say weird, whatever uh, not beaten path situation you might, maybe you work from home. Maybe you just have projects and you can do them whenever the hell you want. So there are plenty of ways where folks might have Pacific time call hours open, but I must insist that you do have them if you're going to apply to this. It's a commission-based gig. You're largely on the telephones. There's a lot of financial upside involved, but you got to have time. You got to have time to hammer the phones. If you love hammering the phones, if you love selling stuff to people, if you love interacting over the phone, hit me up at Dan Bespris on Twitter at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com with sales position in the subject line. I will grab that email right out of the main bucket, teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com, and I'll get back to you with more details on that. So, uh, again, thanks to the large chunk of you, actually, that have written in on that. If there are a few more that have been thinking about it all week and this one pushes you over the hump, great, write in a note. By the way, I should mention, just because you write in doesn't mean you have to take a job. It's just an opportunity to learn a little bit more about it. But I, I just wanted to be very clear that if you don't have those hours free or if you don't like being on the telephone, don't bother. That's not the right fit. Also, big thank you to our buddies over at mybookie.ag. Their continued support is part of why we've been able to grow the way we have and build out our sports gaming division over at Hoopball Gaming. Those guys doing just a, a bang up job. Aaron Bruski, by the way, our own Aaron Bruski, went 6-0 and in the NBA yesterday. What a crushing that was. You should probably get a wager pass subscription for $9.99 over at hoop-ball.com, follow our handicappers, myself included, and do it with an account over at mybookie.ag. Use promo code HOOPBALL when you sign up, all one word, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L at mybookie.ag. It unlocks a 50-50% deposit match bonus on your initial deposit into your account, and then you can follow along. If you missed out on yesterday, you missed out on 12 units of winning from Brew. That would have paid for your whole damn year of a Wager Pass subscription. So don't delay any longer, folks. Hop on the Wager Pass or the HoopBall 360. Start betting with us here at HoopBall. Get into our Discord channel. You can ask us questions about our wagers or our fantasy over there. Uh, and come along for the ride. It's awesome. Hoop-Ball.com. Click on the Premium tab and get started today. Tonight, short one. Lakers at Bucks. Ooh, that's going to be fun. Bucks favored by two, total of 228 and a half. Lakers kind of took their foot off the gas in that game against the Warriors their last time out. I have a slight lean to Milwaukee in this game, but I don't think I'm touching the side. In fact, my thought here is that both of these teams are going to be up for this game, and I think Milwaukee learned their lesson against Brooklyn, which is 
don't just get into a shootout because that now Milwaukee should have beat Brooklyn like they 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 really just should have beat them I know the Nets have a lot of firepower right now but you saw how Brooklyn was able to defend or lack thereof against the Cavaliers last night this is a very different ball game Lakers can put Anthony Davis on Giannis to slow him down a little bit they might save that they can put LeBron on him to slow him down a little bit Milwaukee a similar thing they can put Giannis on LeBron I don't know that Brooke Lopez on Anthony Davis is going to be the world's greatest matchup, but there, there are a lot of really interesting things going on here, and I just I think this game has a little bit more of a playoff-y feel, which means you're going to eliminate some of those quick shots, and that's all you'd need to do to keep a total under the mark. So slight lean to the under here in the first of the TNT games tonight. The second TNT game is the Pelicans and the Jazz in a rematch of a game two days ago where Utah just blistered the Pels and blew them out pretty early. I think they had them by shortly after halftime. Line is about the same. Jazz favored by seven. A lot of people I'm seeing are on the Pelican side, and in general, I like to look for that revenge angle. I just don't like the way the Pelicans are playing right now. The Jazz are beating teams roundly with defense and offense. They have quietly been one of the best teams in the NBA over the last two weeks, and I still don't think anybody's noticed. So I actually slightly lean to the Jazz repeating their beatdown of the Pels, although it may take a little bit more time to get there. And I kind of like the under. I think you see this game get a little bit more chippy, a little more grinded outy. And the pace of the last game was actually right on this mark, right at about 217, 218. So if the pace slows down even the tiniest bit, you're you're looking at a, a good path. None of these things are guaranteed, of course, to an under on the betting side. The reason I talked almost exclusively about betting on these first two games is that there really isn't much from a fantasy standpoint. You know, we've had one eye on Bobby Portis while he's beginning to slow down on that Milwaukee side. Nothing really for the Pelicans, the Jazz, the Lakers. They're all quite predictable at this point. And then in the other game, the non-marquee matchup, it's the Knicks in Golden State in San Francisco now. They play across the Bay, I guess, to take on the Warriors. Warriors favored by four and a half they're on a back-to-back. If you're wondering why that line looks weirdly low, it would have been six and a half if not for the rest advantage for the New York Knicks. That's going to pull in... I don't even need to look at the, the ticket count to know that that's going to pull in a ton of money on the Warriors' side because four and a half just looks small. It just looks like a small number. That's one of those ones where a public looks at a line and they're like, well, this is the better team. Covering four and a half is nothing. Uh, I would lean to the Knicks, actually. I think the Warriors, uh, not that this is any kind of letdown spot, but, you know, it's just not going to be as simple as that. In all likelihood, I'm probably not touching the side. Uh, I just kind of like the way the Knicks compete. I I think they're going to fight. And if, you know, as Steph goes kind of thing, no really strong feelings on this one. And from a fantasy standpoint, we're just, on the Knicks side, we're just kind of still waiting for Alec Burks to get his butt back into the mix. Otherwise... What what is there? There's not a whole lot. The, the the main guys play grotesquely high minutes. If Mitchell Robinson's healthy, that would probably be another thing to keep one eye on. And then the Emmanuel quickly Alfred Payton timeshare, but I don't see that going anywhere anytime soon. This is a night largely devoid of expected fantasy ramifications. Now something could jump out and surprise us, and there are going to be fun games on TNT to watch. So enjoy those. But no homework assignments tonight, because I don't think any of these I don't think any of these three games turn up a fantasy nugget. Let's put it that way. I don't think any of them turn up a fantasy nugget. 
And I think that'll be that for the most part. By the way, it's a special surprise. Tomorrow, we're talking to Josh Lloyd on the podcast. It'll be a part of our Friday episode. Josh and I will be breaking down the weirdness of the COVID season. It's a bit more theory than hot pickup or hot drop. And then, of course, I'll go through my normal Friday fair, which is a weekend review. Pickups, drops, holds, trades, all that good stuff and get you set for a weekend coming up. So that should be a big, fun Friday show tomorrow. It's going to be a long one, actually. So hopefully you guys have some time in a lounge chair or a car over the weekend. Oh, by the way, next three Grizzlies games all got postponed. That's the news of the morning. Almost forgot to mention that. Almost because it just doesn't feel that surprising. I'm still floored Memphis played that first game after Jonas Valanciunas had his positive test. Maybe... Perhaps they played because uh, maybe the test was inconclusive, and so they were waiting on a second test to confirm JV was positive. That was the Suns, though. And the only thing I would I would hope there is that if Valanchunas, and I, presumably these guys are getting tested every single day, so if JV was not contagious until that day, then what happened is that was he contagious during... No, no, he sat out that game with, with uh, Phoenix. He didn't play in that game. Okay, that's important because that means that he contacted his teammates who were exposed to him, but they most likely didn't have the ability to spread it to someone else yet. Unless it was like JV licked his hand, shook hands with his teammate, and then they just went around shaking hands with everybody with Valanchunas's spit on their hand. I don't think that's what happened. You know, these guys are supposed to be wearing masks. The concern is that Grizzlies now will develop uh, COVID over the course of the next, I guess it would be by the end of this week. And so that's when the rest of the team would have been contagious. So I, I don't think that that game with Phoenix is actually going to burn the NBA because in all likelihood, the only contagious person on the team was JV and he didn't play in it. And he's not going to give it to the other team if he's isolating at home. Even if he's now been exposed to his teammates, they're not yet contagious. It tends to take anywhere from about two to six to eight, two to eight days, I think, at times for guys to develop enough virus to test positive. So that's just a couple of thoughts on, you know, why the NBA might have pushed through with that game thinking, ah, eh, not contagious yet, and then we'll cancel the rest of them this week, postpone rather, because at that point, some of these other Grizzlies could be developing symptoms. So if you got any Grizzlies, sorry. I don't feel bad for you. I have Bradley Beal in a number of spots, and the Wizards haven't played, I think, since 2020. Killing me. But we knew it was going to be like this. Hold tight. Just hold steady. A lot of time left in this fantasy season. A lot of time left, and other teams are going to get nailed with it. If you happen to be the one getting nailed right now, the next outbreak, the next couple of postponements... As we're already seeing, I don't have that many Grizzlies on my fantasy team. I have a bunch of Wizards, so I got nailed early. I got some Celtics, got nailed there. Don't really have any Grizzlies, so someone else in my league is getting crushed, and you know maybe I'll get to play them in a head-to-head at that point. Thank you for listening, everybody. Please, 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 please drop a five-star review on the podcast if you have a moment. It means the world to me. Do subscribe. That's also a really big deal, and please do tell your friends. We just got to keep on pushing here on Fantasy NBA Today. We want to be so big. I know, that was lame. Have a great Thursday, everybody. Enjoy the uh, the the marquee games on TV tonight. Should be a lot of fun again tomorrow. Josh Lloyd and the weekend edition of Fantasy NBA Today. We wrap things up one more time at Dan Vespers on Twitter, teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com if you want to shoot me a note. 
about our recruiting pitch. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.